All right. Hopefully I've given you enough time to think of some, some good gifts. Uh, yes, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, I hope and pray you're having a good start of the day. I hope you're lavish with cards and hugs and maybe some gifts. Uh, as a church, dads, we'd like to do this. We'd like to put something in your hand. It's called Man of God, Walking by Faith. It's a great uh, devotional, daily thing that you can open up and challenge you as a man of God. Um, for the gentlemen who are, not in, who are in here who are not dads, um, here's what the deal. Don't try to become one right now, okay? But uh, or think, oh, yeah, I'd like to be dad. Okay, be patient. God's working on you and me. Uh, grab one of these, okay? We want, we want all the men in here to be men of God, okay? Whether you're a father or not, we want all of you to be men of God. So please do me a favor. Gentlemen, they're on the back table. So as you go back and drop in your big fat checks into the blessing box, I mean, as you go back towards there, as you head out, uh, make sure you grab one of these, okay? We want you men to, to grow up and be uh, godly men. Uh, can you imagine a church full of godly men leading? Um, I would love to say we're there, but I myself, we all got to grow. So let's challenge each other's men to continue to grow uh, in that manner. Uh, men, it's, you know, and I was thinking about... Um, the, the gifts we get as fathers, uh, boy, the, it's, it's a wide array of gifts. Um, and I was thinking, listen to, you know, sometimes it's a tie or a t-shirt, you know, best dad, you know, whatever, the you know, world's greatest dad, right? Uh, I've seen treadmills on the list, and I've seen tools, right? Now, moms, kids, thank you, thank you, but I just want to I want you to hear from a translation from a father. I'm getting a tie or a shirt or a treadmill or not a treadmill or, you know, go work out um, or tools. So basically, this is what I'm hearing. Dad, we love you, but you don't know how to dress. Um, so we've got to sharpen you up some and you need to get in shape and can you please fix the house? Okay? That's what I heard translation when I got those gifts. Um, well, I'd like to believe it's, Dad, you're looking good, but we're just going to help you out here. And um, I love how you're in shape and everything. Keep it up. And uh, you're already working on the house, thanks, right? Um, if you're going to give me a tool, it's probably going to be Gorilla Glue and duct tape. That's all I can say, right? Um, keep it simple, right? But as a man, as a father, I'd like to make sure that I, I know that I have it under control. Out of all the gifts that could be given to me, one thing as a dad, I guess I'd like to say is, I've got it under control. Uh, maybe that's a man thing. I don't know. Um, but if it's out of control, I want to fix it. Why, dads? Because we're in control. We're in charge. We're the man of the house. So we've got to fix it. We've got to have it together. We've got to be under control. Um, and I'm telling you right now, Gorilla Glue and duct tape doesn't help me get things under control around the house. It's a, just a great mask for uh, what I wish I could fix when I can't. Um, as my wife has always said, um, you know, the tool guy, that's not you. Um, if you remember the, uh, the shows, the guy that would fix everything, she goes, that's not you. Um, but I'd like to believe I have life under control. But let me ask you this, men and ladies. When life is out of control, how do you handle it? When life is simply out of control, what do you do? Do you trust God? Do you know how hard it is uh, as an independent, self-sufficient man to say, I've got it under control and to fully believe that? You know, for Father's Day, I'd say, all right, kids, for Father's Day, this is what you need to give me. Patience. Um, give me trust. 
and, and can give me a toolbox that's filled with complete surrender to God. You know, we just sang the song of surrendering, right? That stuff is hard to do. But as a man, that's really what I need. More than a tie, more than a t-shirt, more than a treadmill or tools. I need patience. I need trust. I need surrender. And that is so hard. Um, so as we look in the, in the Bible today and the scriptures, what we're going through, I want to continue in the book of Esther. Um, but today's passage, there's going to be some little lessons throughout, sprinkled throughout. But at the end, I'm going to share with you what I really hope and pray that God spoke to you today on, okay? So if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Esther. And again, as you're looking in your Bible, if you can't find it, if you go to the middle of the Bible where you find Proverbs and Psalms, just sort of work your way backwards from there, and you're going to run into the book of Esther. Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, right there. We're going to be in chapter 5. Chapter 5. This, you know, if you ever watched a good movie, and it's like, oh, this is getting really good, and then, you know, you have the, the, the final part of the movie where it comes to the end, it's like, oh, yes. This is, I'm going to say, this is the part of the scripture where we're getting into, it's like, oh, this is so good, this is good. And then what's going to happen? We're going to end today, and it's like, now what happens? What happens next? Let's wait for another week, okay? Um, but this is sort of that, that, where things just really start to build. This is, oh, this is going to get good, right? So chapter 5, let's pick it up. Three days later, this is verse 1, chapter 5. Three days later, Esther put on her royal robes, entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. king was sitting on his royal throne, facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her, holding out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Let's read on verse 3. The king asked her, What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Esther replied, If it please your majesty, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I've prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendant and said, Tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet, as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. Now, quick background. Remember, King Xerxes is an evil king. He's not a godly man, so he's going to make ungodly decisions. He got rid of his queen, went through a year process, beauty pageant of Persia, picked out Esther, beautiful godly woman inside out. She's now the queen. Of course, he still has his harem, his many wives and other ladies and all that kind of stuff, but just one queen. Okay? Um, she is a Jew. Mordecai, who adopted her, has you know, caught wind of uh, what's going on, and he, bow, he refused to bow before Haman, made Haman mad. Haman set out a decree that all Jews would be annihilated a year from then, which we talked about if that happens. Jesus is never born, right? This is going to be a horrible plan for everybody. Mordecai catches, uh, again, wind of this, goes to Esther. Esther, you are in position to do something. But she's like, I'm a woman. What can I do? Unless the king tells me to come to him, if I enter his palace without his request, I will be executed. My life will be taken. And what good is that? Mordecai said, for such a time as this, I believe God's got a purpose and plan for you we talked about last week. Um, you know, in those chapters we talked about recognizing sin and having a strategic plan to deal with sin, realizing that God's Spirit's working in us to conquer this. 
Um, and then we said, finally, ask yourself, has God placed you in a posi position or plan to do something for him? We talked about that last week. And so that's how we concluded. So we come to this point now where the queen, Esther, she has fasted and prayed for three days. She's asked all of her family, friends, uh, the people who were godly to pray to God and fast. And now after three days, she puts on her royal robes and she sort of positions herself across the hallway from where the king is sitting and he catches a glimpse of her and is like, ah, Esther, come on in. That was very bold, by the way. Um, she was being obedient, you know, after this time of prayer and fasting. First of all, she's being obedient to God. She said, God, I need to do something. It may cost my life, but I need to do something. So I'll be bold. I will be obedient. And she did that. And she walked by the king's open doorway, knowing that this could cost her her life or this could cause her a moment to come in and see something incredible happen. So she goes before the king, and the king is just impressed again with her beauty. And he says, I'll give anything up to half the kingdom. What would you like? Okay, now let me express something here. That was not a literal, I'm going to give you half the kingdom. Basically what he is saying is, listen, I want you to be openly honest with me. Tell me what you need. I'll give you whatever you want. In other words, be honest with me. I, want to, I, want to, I do want to give you something. Let's just be, have some open communication here, okay? A very generous man, maybe. But understand, he wants the truth. Tell me what you need. I'll, I'll do anything. Tell me what you need. So Esther shows tact by not blurting out her request right away. She didn't say, oh, king, you signed a decree that's going to kill the Jews, which includes me and Mordecai and everybody, and, and you just need to do something different. She didn't do that. She's very tactful. Let me tell you something. When you take time to pray, when you sit down and fast and say, God, God, speak to me. What am I, what am I supposed to do? In this moment, in this time, give me wisdom, right? James chapter 1, verse 5 says this. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Let me hear you say generous. Generous. Let me hear you say it again. Generous. Generous. What kind of God do we have? He is a what? Generous God, right? If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. That's what James chapter 1 verse 5 says. And it goes on to say, he won't rebuke you for asking. Isn't that good to know? Kids, kids, listen very carefully. Isn't it good to know you can ask mom or dad something and they're not going to yell at you? Isn't it good like, hey, can I have one of those? No. Some of you kids know what I'm talking about, right? I'm good at that. Right? Yeah, okay. Look at my boys. Can we have no, no, no. Okay, right? Don't you love this in James 1, 5 where it says, you need wisdom? Ask a generous God. He'll give it to you, and he won't rebuke you. God, can I have wisdom? No. Sorry, God, I didn't mean to ask. That's what Scripture is saying. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. God, can you give me wisdom? God's like, absolutely. In those three days of fasting and prayer, I believe that Esther was praying, God, God, give me wisdom. How do I approach the king? How do I do it correctly? How do I come about making a decision and do it the right way that's going to honor you, not put myself into more trouble and so forth and so on. I believe God directed her. And God's Spirit spoke to her in a way and said, this is how you're going to do it. And so she basically said, you know, if I could have your confidence, I'd, I'd like you to come attend a banquet. And at this banquet, 
could you please bring Haman with you? Oh, this is good. Haman's the guy that wants to kill her people and herself as a Jew, right? Okay. And she's a woman. Okay, now ladies, remember, women are property, second class in biblical times. In ancient history, and actually, it's still that, sort of that way in the Middle East right now. Okay. And you got to love this part. The king is like, get Haman in there now. Esther wants her to have be at a... Okay, you got to remember this. Here's the cool part. The king is blurting out, what? Instructions for Haman. Telling Haman what to do because of what? Because of Esther, a woman. This woman, you ladies are like, yeah, we know that. We got men wrapped around our fingers, right? Because that's what's happening here. This king's in charge, but who's really in charge right now? Esther just made a request. Now he's blurting out. Everybody, let's get this together, you know? Oh, by the way, the one that hates and wants to kill the Jews, you. Esther wants you to be at a banquet tomorrow. Sort of ironic. Some of you are still trying to figure this, what I'm saying here, okay? Let me just say this. What's happening shouldn't be happening, okay? The king shouldn't be blurting out these requests. Hurry, hurry, Haman, let's get in here. It's like, oh. See what's doing? God's got some stuff stirring here. You watch carefully as Esther, a Jew, is compelling the king to command Haman to hurry to a banquet. A Jew is calling the killer of Jews, a woman, to be obedient. Crazy stuff. Look at verse 6, 7, 8. Let's read on. While they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, Now tell me what you really want. What's your request? I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Again, we heard that before, right? Verse 7, Esther replied, This is my request, deepest wish. If your majesty is pleased with me, and, and wants to grant my request, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet. I'll prepare for you. And tomorrow I'll explain what it's all about. Now, I don't know maybe what we're, what's going on. I don't know if you know, there's a lot of banquets going on these days, right? It's like Esther is the book of banquets. Hey, by the way, uh, thanks for coming to the banquet. Uh, here's my request. Can you come tomorrow to another banquet? Now, I, I was thinking about this as I was reading and studying. She showed some customary protocol here, not appearing anxious and asking for another day to reveal her request. It's sort of protocol, but it made me wonder. She put off the request one more day. Is she allowing God to do more work? Or was she scared? Was she nervous? I can't ask him yet. I can't ask him yet. Um, or was it part of the wisdom that God had given to her? Let's get the men together. Let's have a good time. Let's have a good talk. Let's allow God to stir and do a little more stuff going on. And tomorrow we'll talk it out. What was the purpose of all this? Or was she lacking courage? I don't know. Either way, we discovered that this. Listen very carefully. We discover that either way, the lapsed time is part of God's plan. This was not a mistake. This was not a mistake. It appears that things are lining up for the request, that, the request to be made. In the meantime, we learn a little bit more about Haman and his anger towards the Jews. And I, I had to ask myself, I wrote this down in my notes, you know, are, are, we, uh, are we patient? Are we a patient people? Or, or do we hurry into appointments? We need to do this now. We need to get done. We need, we need to hurry. Or, or let's, let's, have we asked God for wisdom on this? As a church, I know we've tried to be patient, but also we want to hurry through. Building, no building. Hire, don't hire. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that can happen. And we, sometimes it feels like we drag our feet. And other times I pray that we have sought God in wisdom and said, how should we move, God? It's a hard balance. It's our balance between being courageous and bold. And I need to step up and being patient and just wait. 
What do you want, God? It's a hard balance. I think Esther's finding it here. Let's read on verse 9. We'll read through 13. What a happy man Haman was as he left the banquet. Why not? He just got called in by the king, ate with the queen. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the gate, not standing up or uh, trembling nervously before him, he was furious. However, he restrained himself, went on home, gathered together his friends, his wife. He boasted them about his great wealth, his many children, bragged about the honors the king had given him, how he was promoted over all the other officials and leaders. Verse 12, Haman added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited me, only me and the king himself, to the banquet she's prepared for us. She has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Then he added, but all this is meaningless as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. Poor, miserable Haman. What a miserable man. I mean, he's honored by both the king and queen of Persia. But the disapproval of one man, Mordecai, who's sitting at the gate, who still says, again, remember Mordecai, he could bow to Haman if he wanted and maybe get everything reversed. He could. But God has told him in his heart, you don't bow to anybody but me. He goes by Mordecai again. Oh, proud man walks by Mordecai and is like, but he still won't bow to me? You still pay me no respect? He goes home furious because one man won't bow to him. Is that not a picture of pride? Haman's deep-seated insecurities and need to be honored by everybody means he's never going to be happy. He will never be happy. Listen very carefully. If you think everybody's going to bow to you, if you think everybody's going to be happy with you, if you think everybody's always going to applaud for you when you do something right, you will never be happy. If your audience is people and not God, you will never be happy. As a leader, I have to understand this. I come on Sunday mornings to preach to share God's Word. If I'm here to please you or to preach to you, I will never be happy. I will never make everyone in this room happy. We have an audience of one, and that is God. For Haman, he wanted an audience of everyone. And because he had one person who would not be happy with him, he was not happy. God meant that hunger for acceptance. Listen carefully. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be loved, right? That's just the way it is. But God meant for that hunger to be filled by one person, Jesus Christ. We get that hole in our heart. I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. So I'm going to post something on Instagram or, or Facebook. And if I don't get a bunch of likes, I guess I'm not loved, right? And I shared with you before how young ladies, high school girls, if they don't get their 100 likes, they take it off because they feel like they're not loved, which is really sad. We're trying to find the approval of others. We can't do that. That hole of acceptance and love that we want, it can only be filled by Jesus Christ. Haman's problem wasn't Mordecai. It was an emptiness of his own heart. Even if he saw the Mordecai problem, even if Mordecai still loved him, his heart would still be empty. You can observe here too, if we want to just take a moment and say, look at Mordecai. He was still bold. He was still courageous. He knew his people were going to be annihilated within a year, but he didn't cease from being bold for God. 
came and walked on. It says he restrained himself, right? He, that, he could have lashed out of Mordecai, but he didn't. He went home. Again, I believe that's the hand of God at work. God would not allow the rage and the fury of Haman to put into action until all the proper pieces were in place. So look at verse 14. Haman's wife and his friends suggested something. They came up with a plan. They're sitting there listening. Oh, my, my husband. What, a, what an honored man he is. And all that, Mordecai. I've got an idea for you. So his wife and friends come up with this. They say to set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. And in the morning, ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. Oh, that pleased Haman. So he ordered a pole to be set up. A 75-foot pole. That is tall. It's not a gallow to be hung on. It's a pole. Think a shish kebab. Think taking a hot dog or meat and just sticking it on the pole. That's what they were going to do to Mordecai. So he was going to wake up the next morning, go to the king. King, I'm ready to get rid of him. Well, he's second command. What the king's going to say? Absolutely, go for it. I don't care. That was his plan. I'm going to get rid of him. You know, Haman brags about all of his power and wealth to his family, but in his pride he seeks the wrong advice from the wrong people. And he wants to make sure that Mordecai's death is seen by everyone. That's, that's the sickening part about this. It's not just that he wants him dead, but he wants him up higher than normal. Usually they're 50 feet. Uh, ancient history talks about how tall they were, usually 50 feet. This is 75. In other words, I want to make sure everybody across the kingdom sees what happens when you don't bow to me. Well, the gallows here, obviously very sickening. But I want you to think about something real quick we see the effects of rage and anger in this world, don't we? And it's sickening. Never underestimate the destructive and distorting power of hatred. The same irrational, violent hatred that Haman had towards Mordecai is the same anger, the same rage, the same sin that we see all through biblical history. The same violent rage that we saw people so angry at Jesus they put him on a cross. The same rage, the same anger that we see today across America on their news. You know, on this date, this date, in 2002, so let's rewind 13 years ago today, minor league baseball game between the New Jersey Cardinals and the Staten Island Yankees. A fan hops the fence and comes on the field to argue an umpire's call at first base. What causes a fan to hop the fence, run out, get in the face of an umpire at first base and start arguing a call? at a minor league baseball game. The crazy thing was, it was a 38-year-old lady who was there with her brownie troop girls. That's what makes it even crazier, isn't it? We respect, well, dad would do that. What drunk man would do that? She's with her eight-year-old brownie troops, her daughter, and her friends. And she's hopping the fence to yell at an umpire. Right? Proverbs 29:11 says, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. The writer of Proverbs says, you know, that fool is just going to let it out, out of control. Anger can consume us like a wildfire consuming things in its path. I don't know if you've seen the fires out west, how many uh, forest fires are going on right now, just out of control. It's an incredible picture of what anger does. It doesn't care what it's in the path. I'm just going to burn it up. I don't care what's left behind. I'm just consuming everything in front of me. This is the same violence we see today. 
I think this week we were all taken back by what happened at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church on Wednesday night. Nine people at a church Bible study were shot down. What can cause such violence? Anger, rage. I'm telling you, you know, and I honestly believe this, um, but, but what my aunt has told me, she's worked in situations like this as a chaplain, and then she said, this isn't black and white. This isn't an ethnic issue. This is sin. This is good versus evil. And we can look at what happened Wednesday night and rewind a 2002 jumping the fence in Oregon Empire, going back all the way to biblical times when they put Jesus on the cross to the time when Haman wanted to impale Mordecai back to Cain and Abel. Say a sin. Sin in the heart that distorts us, that hurts us, and causes us to hurt others. Gentlemen, as a dad, okay, I'd love to say I never get angry. I'd love to say that, but I do. My boys are looking at each other right now, just smirking away. <laughs> but there's times when your anger gets to a point and you're just like, ah, and you want to just blow something up. And usually, you know, your whole head blows up first and then everything around you. And it's like, God, help me not to get angry. God, take care of what's going on in here. Men, if you need that, pray that. Do not be afraid to pray for peace. Do not be afraid to, to pray, God, help me to get rid of this. You know, men struggle with all kinds of things. Anger is one of them. It's up on the list. We've got to pray for that. We've got to pray for each other on that. Let's read on. First, I'm sorry, chapter 6. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. That night, the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the historical records of his kingdom so they could read to him. In those records, he discovered an account on how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They plotted to assassinate the king. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? The king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has ever been done. Huh. Think about this. King Xerxes cannot sleep that night. Huh, that's sort of funny. He couldn't sleep on the night prior to the day he's going to have a banquet with his queen, prior to the day when Haman's going to come and ask for Mordecai to be impaled. For some reason, he just can't sleep. He doesn't know what's all going on, right? Can we say Holy Spirit's at work, right? Check out what happens. He's brought a book, and it's used for him to fill this sleepless night, hoping that reading it, he'll make him sleep again. So what do you bring out? You bring out political records, and that, that will put me to sleep. Okay, all right. So this is a remarkable example, though, of the providence of God in action because King Xerxes can't sleep. He can choose from 20 different diversions of a sleepless night, right? I want you to think about this. You can't sleep at night. What do you do? Now, we could probably come up with multiple answers here. Well, I don't know, get up, go for a run. I don't know, go watch TV. Go eat something. Uh, go get a warm cup of milk. I don't know. Um, you know, there's all multiple things that you might do. It's like, I can't sleep, so I might as well do this, Right? see what one thing can king pick um let's read some records from past things in my kingdom okay um so he commands that a book is brought to him to read now the one who was commanded to bring a book just so happens to bring one particular book out of multiple books 
and he puts that one particular book in front of the king and just happens to turn to a certain page in that book that talks about Mordecai and how Mordecai saved his life and how that he was never repaid for it. And the king's like, hey, did we ever do something for this guy? We didn't do anything for him? He saved my life and we never repaid him? Oh, we need to do something for this man. Now, I was thinking about, you know, as you're reading through this, um, well, look at this, let's read on. Verse, verse 4, he says this, well, who's in the outer court? In other words, like, I need to, I need to see, uh, is anybody around that can help me make a decision on how to reward this man? Who's in the outer court? The king inquired as it happened. As it happened. Let me hear you say, as it happened. As it happened. Oh, it just so happened. Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impel Mordecai on the pole that he prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, hey, Haman's out in the court. Oh, bring him in. You know, and Haman's like, yes, I get to ask the king quicker than I thought I was going to be able to ask him. So Haman comes walking in, and, and the king is just ready to ask him, hey, what should I do for this man who saved my life? Right now, again, what a coincidence, right? Let me hear you say no. Let me ask that question again. What a coincidence, right? No. This is the providence of God. This is how God works. It was no coincidence that Haman enters the king, his court, I'm sorry, at just the right moment. This is part of God's plan. No coincidence. It was no coincidence that Haman came at that moment to ask for the execution of Mordecai. It was no coincidence that King Xerxes wanted to honor Mordecai at just that moment. God's just lining things up here. Esther wasn't lucky to be queen. Mordecai wasn't lucky to overhear the assassination plot. It wasn't luck or chance that made Haman enter the royal courts at that time. Again, all these events are orchestrated by God. Think back into your lifetime and say, man, I can't believe how that worked out. Wow, that was remarkable. What a coincidence. I want you to think back to those moments. Have you had any recently? Just think back. Then I want you to silently thank God right now for orchestrating that event in your life. That was part of his plan to bless you, to help you, to encourage you, to show you something. If this book of Esther shows us anything, it shows us that God manages the affairs of mankind, even without our knowledge. God knows what he's doing in the courts of heaven. There's no coincidences or surprises to God. He's got it down. And this becomes difficult, of course, when bad things happen to us because then we look at this and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. If God is orchestrating everything, what about the bad stuff? So God's orchestrating that too? Let me say something on this. Be very careful because what happens is we pick out those bad moments in our life and we pull them out of the big picture and we say, that's a horrible moment. But you know, if you put this back in the context of your life, you'll see how those horrible moments are part of God's incredible plan for your life to do great things. There's been times, I know I preached this sermon a while back about the puzzle pieces. If you remember that sermon, I talked about how the, when you put together a puzzle, the corner pieces, those are the easiest pieces of the puzzle, right? You know exactly where they go. Four, four pieces, right? And then the edge pieces, oh, I know where that's going to fit on the puzzle. So when you're putting together a puzzle, usually that's the first thing you get done, right? Oh, that was easy. But then you got those crazy-looking pieces that are all, I don't know, discombobulated and where does that going to fit? And you, it's, you struggle with it, right? 
my sermon on that, and I'm not trying to recap this, but I want to help you out for those of you who never heard that sermon, is that is this. Those edge pieces, those corner pieces are the awesome praises that we have to God. I remember birthdays and anniversaries and weddings and celebrations and answer prayer. We're like, oh, those are, those are the best part of life, right? But then why somebody dies or, or why did I fail that test or how come I didn't get the job or how come I lost money here? Those are the pieces in there that we say, this doesn't make sense. But when all the pieces are finally put into that puzzle and you step back and you look at that puzzle, you have an awesome picture of what God has done in your life. It's beautiful. Ask Bill and Bonnie Norris how many puzzles they've put together lately. We've talked about that, and, and I put them together in the wintertime usually, and that's my release. And it's a reminder that God's in charge and he sees the whole picture. And this is right here, you know, we look at this, and a lot of us probably look at this and say, oh yeah, wait, wait, there's a verse in the New Testament, Romans 8, 28, right? You remember that one? All things work together. We, we, sometimes we use that verse so out of context, right? All things work together for the good, right? For those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, when Paul says all things work together, he meant all things. He meant just the good things. It's the bad things, too, that work in with the good things. And as you're looking at the story in Esther, it's like, there's some bad stuff that's going to happen. But God's also got some good stuff that's coming that he's orchestrating. So look at verse 6. Haman comes in. He says, king goes to him, what should I do to honor the one who pleases me? Haman says, he's thinking to himself, hmm, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? Such the pride of a man, right? King must be talking about me. What can, uh, let's see, what can I come up with? I love this. So God often allows, allows fallen man to set our own trap, right? So in his pride and arrogance, verse 7, he says this. So he replied, if the king wishes to honor somebody, you should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as the king's own horse with a royal emblem on his head and instruct one of the king's most noble princess to dress this man in the king's robe and to lead him through the city square on the king's own horse. Have the prince shout as they go, this is what happens to those the king wishes to honor. And is that great? Okay, so Haman's thinking, man, what would I like done for me? Royal robes, royal horse, somebody walking alongside saying, this is the one that honors the king. He's thinking, man, that's going to be me on the horse, right? He's getting excited about this. Look at verse 10. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Hurry, get the robe and my horse. And can, can you just see Haman's face right now? He's going, yeah, I'll go get, the, I'll get all that. I can't wait to put it on. I wonder what size it is. I sort of got long arms. Hopefully it doesn't show too much. Yeah. He's probably just all this going through his mind, right? Okay, because why? Because in his childish desire to be praised and honored by everybody, because he's got that hole in his heart that has to be praised by other people, He's getting pumped up, fired up, right? You can only believe he's the one that's done well. He's the one that's going to get the applause, okay? But then check this out. Do, just as you said, for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the gate of the palace, do not fail to carry out everything that you've suggested. Can you just see Haman's face right now? Do you think it changed colors? Do you think his knees got a little wild? Do you think he about fainted? Do you think he about passed out? Do you think he wanted to explode? I mean, what's, he's like, 
I, I wanted to impel. I came in here to ask you to pill my mistake. I'm thinking shish kebab, and now you're thinking raise up Bob. Uh, I don't get this, okay? I'm gonna, he's going to walk. Oh. So uh, this, is, this is excellent. Read on here. So Haman takes the robe, puts it on Mordecai. <laughs> I can just see him dressing. It looks good on you. Uh, and he puts him on the horse, leads him through the city square, shouting, this is what happens to the those the king wishes the honor, or is it those, this is the one who wishes the king not? He had to fake it big time, didn't he? This is the one. This is what happens when you honor the king. I hate my life. I hate my job, right? Oh, listen, God's word is fun to read. Okay? Some, of you, some of you have been reading this like King James style. Really, I mean, you're like, so Haman Tooketh off the robeth and put it on. You're like, oh, serious. Read the scriptures. Life stuff. Okay, anyway. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate. So oh, Mordecai just gets princed around on this robe. And he's like, hey. And it is, I love this. It says nothing about Mordecai here except that did what happened? He went back to the gate. It wasn't like, hey, I'm special now. So I don't need to go back to the gate. No, all right. Thanks, cool. And he went back to his noble position. And he heads back there and Mordecai goes to his gate. Haman hurries home, dejected and completely humiliated. Completely humiliated. You know, Haman's wife and his advisors uh, at that point in time could see the future well enough. They knew it was coming. Haman was not going to prevail in this. The plot is thickening. Haman, I know you got plans for Mordecai, but God's got bigger plans. Look what happens here at the end of the chapter. When Haman told his wife and his friends what happened, they said, since Mordecai, this man who's humiliated you, is a Jew, listen, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue to oppose him. Now, he's getting, he's getting all this instruction now from his family saying, uh-oh, now they're starting to see it. They're seeing the hand of God. Like, um, you probably shouldn't oppose him anymore. It's, it's, it's going to be fatal to you. Before they can finish talking, check out what happens. While they're still talking, the king's eunuchs arrive to take Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. They can't even get the rest of this done. And, oh, I've got to go to another banquet. And what happens at that banquet is going to be incredible. You'll find that out in a couple weeks. We can always read ahead. We can always read ahead. So as we read these chapters, what lessons come to mind as we wrap this up? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things like obedience and trust, right? Regardless of what happens to you, trust God. That was Esther. She prayed, she fasted, she asked for wisdom. She trusted God. God, I'm going to put myself in position. I could be put to death, coming before the king, or... Out of my trusting you, you might come through. So maybe out of this, these chapters, we can learn to trust God. Maybe it's about pride. Maybe about how always uh, we end up in a bad place when we let pride rule. And Haman's pride left him miserable. Or maybe the lesson here is give thanks. Have you shown thanks to somebody who's helped you in your life? As the king did, he, he realized, you know what? I've never properly thanked Mordecai. Maybe the lesson you can learn out of this chapter is I need to really go back and think of people who've been instrumental in my life and thank them. 
could probably learn that, right? But let me tell you something. Each of those things that we just mentioned, those are all characteristics of what? A godly person. Men, on Father's Day. If you could receive anything today, maybe that would be good. One of these godly characteristics, right? So maybe we can ask ourselves these questions. Do you remain, and this is for everybody, not just the men, do you remain faithful in difficult times? Are you willing to still stand when others, others around you are not? Mordecai did, right? He still remained at the gate. He still remained faithful to not bowing to Haman. Here's another question to ask. Are you so full of pride and anger that your heart is sick and darkened? Do you allow anger and pride to cause you to look at other people with wrong feelings? If so, what are you doing about that? Here's another question to ask. Do you recognize those in your life that have helped you? Are you a thankful person? Are you a grateful person? Those are some questions you can ask. But in the end, we can see through these chapters, you know, those are great lessons, but in the end, as you look through these chapters, I, I believe here's the biggest thing. And that is this, God's in charge of it all. His providence, his, no, there is no, it just so happens, or what a coincidence, God's in control. And we need to trust him. And if there could be anything that I could give to all the dads in this room, and I want to go beyond dads, and I want to be inclusive here to everybody, okay? I would say this, what do you really want today as a gift? Besides a tie or a t-shirt or a treadmill or peanut butter pie or whatever it may be, you know, that you really wanted for Father's Day, I'm not asking for that, Kathy Heener. I'm just throwing that out there, okay. But if you could really have any gift, what would you really want? I mean, Haman wanted what? A parade. Ticker tape parade, right? He wanted revenge. None of those things are ever going to make you satisfied. Here's the problem. All of us in this room have a hole in our heart. Any gift that we could ever receive on a holiday or on a normal day would never fill that hole. The only thing that's going to fill that hole is Jesus Christ. Clothes go out of style, newness wears off, gifts fade. There's no perfect gift for fathers. There just seems to be perfect, seems to be no perfect gifts to satisfy any of us except Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, there's a story of Nicodemus, a, a religious leader who went to Jesus in the middle of the night. He was very dissatisfied with life. He was a religious leader, but he went to Jesus seeking. And in John chapter 3, we read later what? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, you know what? You know what's missing in your life, Nicodemus? Me. There's only one thing that's going to fill that hole, one thing that fills that heart. Men, the greatest gift you'll ever receive, the greatest gift you'll ever receive, and I know you've probably received some great gifts today, but the greatest gift you're ever going to receive is relationship with Jesus Christ. The greatest gift you'll give to your children is a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. You want to bless your children? Live for Jesus. A life filled by His Spirit with godliness pouring out of His in character. 
Worship team, could you please come forward? As they're coming forward, you know, I was, I was thinking back to this. Growing up, we had a, um, one of those train sets. You know, you put together the track, and we had all this kind of stuff. And uh, the train, toy train set that we had just ran on one track. So you had one train, one track. We were pretty in control of that train. But then we got race cars. But the race car track had two grooved lanes. It set the cars in those grooved lanes, and they had two speeds, fast and stop. Okay? Those were the two speeds. So I could still control sort of the speed. And, okay? Then came along TCR race cars. Total control racing. Never forget TCR. Now I could put my cars, and they could switch lanes. And the speed sort of varied a little bit more. I was even more control. Now, you can go on Xbox and PlayStation. You can pick the color of your vehicle, the, what kind of vehicle you want. You can pick where you want to drive, however you want to drive, fly whatever, and you can do everything, you, and speeds, and, and oh, the kind of helmet you're going to wear when you're riding that. You have so much control, it seems like, right? And it sort of seems as I've gotten older, the toys get better, and it seems like I'm even more in control, more control, more control. But guess what? You know what I'm learning in life as I get older? I'm not in control. I'm not in control. God's in control. The best thing I can do is just surrender. Surrender to God. He's going to fill that hole right here. And that relationship with him changes everything. That I'm going to become the kind of man that I need to be for my boys. I'm going to be the kind of person that I need to be for those I lead. That's the best gift I can receive from God and the best gift I can give to others. And I pray you agree with me on that. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome and mighty God and a great Heavenly Father. The greatest gift you ever gave us is your Son, Jesus Christ. And in our anger and our pride and our confusion and throughout the various things that we struggle with, um, Lord, there's nothing that's going to get rid of any of that. No applause, no parades, no titles, not money. No matter what amount of control I think I can have in my life, I'm still going to have that hole in my heart until I surrender to you. So God, I pray right now, for everyone in this room, not just the men, not just dads, but everyone in this room, that we take this moment and we seriously ask, God, am I trying to run things in my life? And if we are, we need to confess. We need to surrender to you. We need to ask you to come into our life, to forgive us of our sins, to clean us up, not just to save us, but to be the Lord of our life. God, we ask for that cleansing in our life. We ask for you to enter our life, that your spirit works in us, that we become godly people. We want to, first of all, receive the greatest gift we could ever receive, that's salvation through your Son. But we also want to take that gift you've given us, and we now want to live in a way that honors you, by surrendering to you, living a godly life, knowing that we have children, grandchildren, kids, students that we teach and work with that are looking at us. I pray that when they look at us, they see you. 
God, we love you and thank you for this time this morning. We pray as we close in this song that we worship you a song and you continue to work in our hearts. In the name we pray, amen.